0: The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you, learn more at uh1.com.
1: Hello and welcome to Brexit unspun. This is where we debunk the political spin around Brexit. I'm Shona Jenkins, and today I'm joined by James Blitz, Whitehall editor, and Sarah Neville, Global Pharmaceuticals editor, to look at the impact of Brexit on the National Health Service. One of the most brazenly deceitful claims made during last year's referendum campaign was that if Britain left the EU, it would have £350 million a week more to spend on the NHS. Nobody is claiming that to be the case now. In fact, the government has warned that a badly managed Brexit would lead to fewer resources available to spend on public services. So let's start by asking James what the outlook is like for public spending when Britain leaves the EU. Obviously, this depends on the economy, but what has the government promised and how realistic do these promises look?
2: Well, the government has been very vague indeed, as you say, about what the impact of Brexit will be on public services. As you rightly say, the £350 million a week extra for the NHS was a claim made by the Vote Leave campaign during the referendum campaign. And pretty quickly after the Brexit victory, that was denounced by almost everybody as being a lie, and the government has never really defended it. The bottom line is that Britain's average net contribution to the EU in recent years has been Around £137 million a week. It's not £350 million a week. So there certainly isn't that much money to play with. And even if the UK were to get that money back, there's all sorts of ways in which the amount is going to be mitigated. Money might have to go to other sectors. We obviously have to pay a certain amount for a divorce bill over the next few years with the EU. So that kind of money isn't there. If you were to take a reasonable view, and the Nuffield Trust, an independent think tank, did look at What the impact on the NHS might be from Brexit, it took the view that it would be reasonable to say that if the circumstances were very good, there would be about £100 million a week that could go to the NHS if we stop making our EU budget payments, which amounts to about £5.2 billion a year. And for an NHS budget, which is very, very heavily cash-strapped, that's certainly a reasonable amount of money. But... There are problems. And the big problem is that there's a strong expectation that the British economy will take a hit, a big hit. Once we have Brexit, there'll be an economic slowdown. And there's a strong expectation that there will be less money, therefore, received from taxpayers. And the Nuffield Trust has suggested that actually the receipts for the NHS might be down by about £2.5 billion. So, they're receiving £5.2 with one hand, and they might be losing anything between two and three with another. So net-net, the amount for the NHS is rather reduced.
1: Sarah, would a reduction
0: in migrant numbers ease the pressure on the NHS in any way? Well, you'd think it would... I suppose inevitably fewer people using it would ease some pressure. But I think the impact on the NHS's very strained finances wouldn't actually be as positive as you might think because EU migrants who live here and thus get their health care here tend to be younger and healthier. And that's in sharp contrast to the Britons who tend to live in the EU, who, by and large, are older people. There was a big wave of older people choosing to retire to Europe, particularly to Spain, in the last sort of 20 or 30 years. And, of course, just by virtue of the place that they're at in their life cycle, they tend to make more demands on the health service than the 20 and 30-somethings who've often chosen to make their temporary home in the UK. James, what about the problem of UK pensioners returning home to
1: be cared for here? Will this represent a big hit to the NHS budget?
2: This is one of the issues that was also raised by the Nuffield Trust in its analysis. It basically said there are around 190,000 British pensioners who are not living in the UK. They're living in the European Union and they are receiving free health care under a reciprocal scheme that exists between Britain and the EU and the the Nuffield Trust says, well, what would happen if we didn't have an agreement with the EU which allowed these people to receive free healthcare anymore? They might well come back here. And they estimate that there might be quite a substantial hit to the NHS. It might cost the government about £500 million. There would be very significant pressure on beds, hospital places and so on. Now, I think that some of that is a little bit... Not exaggerated, but I think one needs to put it in context. One, there could well be a deal between the UK and the EU under which they will continue to receive free health care in Europe and Europeans here will receive free healthcare under the NHS. And secondly, even if there weren't a deal, it's quite unlikely that all 190,000 are going to come back in one go. I don't think there will necessarily be a dramatic hit on public services. Even so, that is one of the concerns clearly on the mind of NHS managers as a result of Brexit.
1: What other NHS issues will be affected?
2: The big question, and far bigger in some ways than money, in fact, is the question of staffing. The NHS is extraordinarily reliant on foreign nationals, to staff its roles both in nursing and the key medical roles, doctors, surgeons and so on. The National Audit Office found in 2016 that there were around 50,000 clinical roles vacant in England and around one in ten jobs in nursing are left unfulfilled. That's becoming a much, much bigger problem, nursing, Partly because there's much more demand for social care. Also, because of a number of scandals in the UK, there's much more demand for really very reliable nursing and very well-staffed nursing facilities. And I think one of the things where there is a lot of concern is that if the UK begins to impose restrictions on EU nationals coming over to the UK in the next few years... That is going to make the job of filling those nursing jobs very, very difficult indeed. Now, the government has been extremely vague about what it wants to do on immigration policy it is said very little indeed of course there are two issues one of them is what is the policy going to be towards eu nationals who are currently living in the country the so the 3 million people with acquired rights of residency how will that be treated that's one of the first issues for the negotiations and that of course affects nurses and doctors currently working in the NHS, and some of them are already leaving. There's clear evidence that those people are leaving. And then the second question is, what is the government going to do in terms of new rules for people who want to come into the UK and work after March 2019. And there the government has just said extraordinarily little. There's clearly going to be some kind of work permit scheme, but how will it be applied? In which sectors will it be applied? What kind of barrier will people have to get over to come here? This is something that's been left vague, And it's been left vague because in the end, the government has to make compromises. It cannot deliver the kind of brazen message about bringing back control and stopping net migration that has been making up till now. The country is simply too reliant in too many sectors on foreign nationals.
1: So Sarah, how will changes in the regulatory framework affect our access to new medicines and will the cost of drugs be
0: affected? Well, undoubtedly, one of the key issues for the coming Brexit negotiations is the future regulation of the pharmaceuticals industry. Currently, Britain, like the 27 other member states, are regulated by the European Medicines Agency, which just happens to be based here in London. But going forward, the EMA will be leaving these shores and a document was published by the European Commission which really underlined how disruptive these changes could be, the document was very clear that unless we can have a new harmonised relationship with the European Medicines Agency, in future, post-Brexit, drugs manufactured in the UK will be treated as exports And even though under WTO rules, tariffs can't be imposed on finished medicines, they can, at least in theory, be imposed on the materials that go to make up medicines. So if we're not able to negotiate a way around this, it must be at least conceivable that these additional costs will be passed on in the form of higher prices. So what about shared medical
1: research? will British doctors and researchers still be able to collaborate with colleagues
0: across the EU? Well, one of the most important ways in which they do that at the moment is through the Innovative Medicines Initiative, which is a big public-private partnership, which aims to speed up the development of better medicines. And it is a joint undertaking between the European Union and the Pharmaceutical Industry Association in Europe. So, On the face of it, there wouldn't be anything automatic about that continuing. I think, yet again, as with so much of Brexit, it's one of those questions we can't quite answer at the moment. We'll be watching that closely as the negotiations proceed. Lots of questions. Thanks, Sarah and James, and thank you for listening. We'll
1: be back next week for another unvarnished look at what Brexit will mean for Britain's trade, economy, public institutions and private sector. We hope you'll join us then. And in the meantime, we'd be delighted if you wanted to review or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you download. You can also email us at unspun that's all one word, at ft.com if you have a question or would like to suggest a topic for future episodes.